Last week we talked about the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And prayer, it's one of those things, it's, if you ask most Christians, they would consider it to be an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus, right? They would, they would consider it a core practice for us that we pray. And while I think most of us can, on some level or another, agree that it's important and essential, I think we can also agree that it's a bit confusing. Uh, there's a mysterious bit about it. There, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings around prayer. Uh, and it's intimidating, or can be intimidating. For many, prayer is regarded like, and we hear this, right? There are people who are really, really good at praying in public, right? That make the rest of us feel inadequate, right? And I don't say that to belittle them. It's just like God bless them and we want to celebrate that gift that they have. But at the same time, it's intimidating, right? And when some people pray, it's like either in public or in, in private, they pray like they're storming the gates of heaven, right? Like they're, they're wanting something either for themselves or someone else. It's not that it's, it's uh, selfishly motivated all the time, but they think that there needs to be excessive and intense prayer or words in order to get God to listen, Right? And I think we, we have this idea that we need to pray hard enough, that we need to imp- even employ other people into our prayer, right? We have these, these things called prayer chains, which are beautiful, by the way, but not beautiful for this reason, right? So, so often with prayer chains, we get this idea, like we, we call each other in the church and we say, we need you to pray for this, because we have this idea that the more people praying, the more likely it is that God will listen, Now, prayer chains are beautiful because they create a sense of community, that they draw us together, they allow us to bear our issues, our problems, our struggles. But more people praying isn't going to necessarily make God listen more. Right? But it's easy to fall into that. Right? We think that if we pray hard enough, God will finally listen. And on some level, we believe that God only responds to us reluctantly. And only after a fair amount of pressure and pestering. Right? It's like we feel that as Christians, as Jesus followers, part of our identity is to be annoying to God. And I don't think any of us would actually like, say, this is what I believe. Um, right? We would never articulate it in such a way, but we behave this way. You know, it's kind of become a part of who we are and how we function. And I don't think, we didn't get here uh, by accident. There's actually people who teach this, who preach this from, uh, from what they think is a biblical perspective, Right? And they would look at scripture and they would quote it saying, this is what we need to do. And one of the passages that often gets painted in this light is this, the parable called the friend at midnight. 
Um, and we find it, this in the Gospel of Luke, and it right, comes right after Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. And it's a response to the disciples asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. So I want to read you this parable this morning, and I'm going to include the bit on the Lord's Prayer because it connects. It's one of, it's one response to this request from the disciples. So we're reading in Luke chapter 11, we're starting at verse, verse 1, just reading to verse 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said, them, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has just come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are, and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's this uh, painting by uh, William Hunt, and I'm going to throw it up there. And I love how it depicts the beginning of this parable. Right? There's this man, and you can kind of see he's leaning into the door, right? And he's just, he's got that knock. And he's, you can just hear him using that shouted whisper, you know, hey, hey, <laughs> where we think because we speak raspily, it's quieter for whatever reason. And he's asking his friend for bread. And, I, and it's easy when you, you, you see this image and you read this parable, it's easy to see how one might simply conclude that in order to get God to answer us, we need to bother him. Jesus says, by your sheer audacity, your shameless audacity, you'll get what you want. But if we think of the friend inside as kind of the God figure in this parable, we kind of bestow some pretty poor attributes to God. Right? Um, which, whenever we end up in a place and we're reading scripture and we find that we're giving God characteristics that are unbecoming, um, unloving, uh, not good, we probably should revisit the scripture that we're reading and reevaluate how we're approaching it. Because 
we get into a, a pretty tricky place when we start to give God these unworthy characteristics. And if we choose to read that this parable that God is this kind of poor friend, then he's not really good, he's not really loving. But I think thankfully there's actually something else going on here, right? And it kind of comes in at the beginning. There's uh, Professor Joel Green, he's at Fuller, Fuller Seminary. He suggests that the opening line of this parable, which is translated in the NIV, suppose you have a friend. It's actually like that, that, that line in the original text only appears in that form there. It doesn't have any other uh, comparison in other Greek literature. But he, he would actually translate it to instead of suppose you have a friend to that can you imagine with that hint of sarcasm right that you're just like you're not saying can you imagine and you're asking your friend that but it's that can you imagine that you're supposing the answer is no because if they said yes you would think so little of them in that moment right you've ever asked can you imagine that that actually had to happen right so that this Jesus is painting, can you imagine a friend? And the, the answer is an emphatic no. All right? In our own culture, if a friend came to us and said, even if it was at midnight, and said to a true friend, and said, I need bread. Like, I, I just had people show up, and I have no food, and they're hungry. Most of us would consider it, of course you would. Right? Of course you would get out of bed for your friend. And in Jewish culture and in the Middle Eastern culture, it's actually so much more. Okay, we have, we have a very minimal understanding of what hospitality was and is in, the, in those cultures. As, as Western, uh, as North Americans, we, we generally suck at home hospitality, uh, especially in comparison. It was considered a core driving force and so if someone came to you, this is not a minor need. This isn't like, oh no, I'm out of bread, as we would kind of read it. This is, I can't offer them the peace, the welcome, the sharing of a table that is expected of me. The amount of shame I will feel is overwhelming. And so you go to your friend who you believe will help you. And it doesn't say that this man went to a neighbor. It says that he went to a friend. Right? So it's a good chance that he didn't go to the person next to him. He went to someone who he knew would help him. And this isn't to say that this friend in the house is like God. This, is to, this parable is saying, in contrast, you know, you guys can't even imagine any of your friends doing this to you. But for some reason, you think God demands this of you. You would never think that you need to pester a friend in order to help you, but so often our approach to prayer requires us to be, to apply pressure in order to get an answer. The person, the, the friend in the house isn't a representation of a loving creator, it's a contrast. It's showing us that we, and telling us we would never behave this way. So why would we ever expect God to behave this way? Jesus is, isn't imploring us to pressure. Teresa of Avila is credited with saying, prayer is nothing else than being on terms of friendship with God. 
I've, I find great freedom in this quote. Uh, lots of what Ter- Teresa writes, actually, there's, she, she was wise. But particularly in this one, I love it because it helps bring perspective to our approach to prayer and approach to God, and particularly to our approach to this parable. If we go, Jesus is imploring us, go to God as you would go to a friend. A friend who you will trust in the moment to help you. And God, who is good, who is loving, isn't someone who will reject you. It isn't that friend who we can't even imagine, but a friend who will be there for us. Right? He says, you know, your prayers, they can be simple. You just have to ask God for help. You just need to knock at God's door as if you were knocking at a friend's door. You just need to seek out God as if you would seek out a friend. And God would be there as a good friend is, not as this sham of a friend who only gets up for shame. God isn't need of, in need of pestering in order to answer our prayers. He isn't in need of some special incantation or formula. Another way of thinking about this is you can't pray wrong. Maybe that's a bit extreme, but I can't help but wonder if it's true. And you know, this was revolutionary at the time, and you know, it's probably actually revolutionary still today. This idea that we don't need a formula, we don't need to ask in a certain way. I know for myself, in my journey, I have been told on more than one occasion that I'm praying incorrectly. And I'll tell you one, most memorable and most, probably most recent, I was at a gathering of, of, of ministers and pastors, and it came to our attention that there was somebody uh, who many of us knew that was in hospital, and uh, the person who was kind of leading the meeting just asked me if I would pray for healing for the person in the hospital. And I don't remember what prayer I said, but I tend to be short-winded, in my prayers at least, and I offered up a very simple uh, request for healing and protection. And after the meeting was over, I was reproached by, not a friend, but someone I know, and I was told that if I wanted God to answer my prayers, I needed to pray in a way that he would hear me. And I, this is, this is my, my confession, I did not react in a way that is becoming, okay? I was angry in that moment, all right? And I did respond, and I'll tell you, I actually think I responded correctly, and I responded with wit, which I probably value beyond any measure of good sense, but I did not respond in love. I responded reactively. I responded like, I want, like it was a smack in the guy's face, right? And so I say, I tell you this to tell you, like, we all have work to do on ourselves. And I share with you the quote, what I said, because I think it was right or correct, and it was done in totally the wrong heart, so do not think this is good. That makes sense, okay? So, because when he said this to me, I simply turned to him and quoted Matthew 6, which... If you read verse 5 and 6, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you pray, go into a room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for the Father knows what you need before you ask him. There's a good mic drop moment. Quote this, turned and walked away. He was shocked, probably offended. If I see him again, I hope I can remember to ask for his forgiveness. But the reality is it's easy for many of us to get caught into what is essentially pagan beliefs of thinking formula and right and proper words will get us the answers. When Jesus was teaching about prayer, when he gave us the Lord's Prayer, and then he gave us this parable, and when he tells us how to pray, this is actually, that passage from Matthew is the intro to him teaching about the Lord's Prayer. And you can see Jesus probably taught how to pray what we consider the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. He probably taught it many times. And depending on the situation, he unpacked it slightly differently. So we have these two angles from Luke and Matthew. But Jesus is teaching again and again that God is accessible. That our prayers and our connection to God don't need to be elaborate or complex. They can be simple. There isn't a special formula that needs to be observed in order to pray correctly. And our prayers aren't going to manipulate God into getting what we want. No matter how much pressure we think we can apply what a level of arrogance is that? Creator of the universe, and you think that he's going to be moved unwillingly by us? Not that God isn't moved. I think he's moved willingly by our prayers, which is a totally different thing. We don't have to pressure God into listening. And prayers can be simple. The Lord's Prayer is a great example. But even outside of that, it's simply asking, seeking, knocking as if a friend, asking a friend for some, something, seeking out a friend to connect with, or knocking on a friend's door to see if they're home. And as I reflect on this, I'm, I'm relieved, and I hope you are too. Because in a world where we have a lot to deal with and a lot to carry, we don't have to be burdened by finding the right words. In a world where we have to come face to face with the atrocities inflicted on First Nations people, we don't have to figure out how to pray to God about that. We don't have to say the right words in order to help make things correct. We can just simply take that burden that many of us are carrying to God in conversation, in simple requests, in a world where we have received a climate change report that is pretty damning, we can take that to God. In a world where we see mothers handing their children to soldiers in Afghanistan, in the midst of heartbreak, we aren't required to find the right words. We aren't required to find some special incantation. We are simply required to approach God as a friend to ask, to seek, to knock, to come to God in our humble simplicity and know that the creator of the universe will respond as a friend. And I don't know about you, but I don't 
most of my friends don't give me everything I want. But my friends do offer me comfort. They do offer me company in the midst of difficulties. And that's what God offers us in our prayer. And so as we think about everything we're dealing with, I encourage you guys not to worry about finding the right words, but simply to take your asks, your wants, your struggles, your desires, and take them and offer them towards God. Whether it's silently in your head, out loud, on your knees, in a chair, it doesn't matter. You find what works. Probably the only thing Jesus says is don't do it in public in a way that everybody knows you're doing it. That would probably be the only wrong prayer, according to Jesus. And on that note, I will close in a public prayer because I still think this is important. And I don't, we don't pray now so that you will think that we're more sacred, more holy. We pray because we know our Father is listening. The creator of the universe is with us and cares for us. And his promise that he will respond as a friend responds. So Lord God, we come to you as a friend. And we ask that when evil darkens our world, that you would give us light. When despair numbers or numbs our souls, you'd give us hope. When we stumble and fall, that you would lift us up. When doubts assail us, we ask that you would continue to give us faith. faith. And when nothing seems sure, help us to trust. When we lose our way, be our guide, that we may find peace in your presence, purpose, and beauty in doing your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Go in the peace and grace of our Lord, our Creator, and our friend.